Hello and welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives, the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirror's crime podcast. I'm crime and defence editor Michael O'Toole and I'm joined today as ever by our crime correspondent Paul Healy. Hello Paul. Hello Mick. So you again, like yesterday, were in the Central Criminal Court for the trial of Joseph Puska and we're going to be talking about that today. But before we go any further, just, uh, just for our listeners to be aware that some of the evidence is quite graphic today and so just a bit of a trigger or content warning that some people may find the evidence uh, upsetting. So we just want to be clear about that before we go on. But anyway, down to business. Joseph Puska, who is 33 and a Slovakian national with an address at Lainali Grove in Mokla in County Offaly, is on trial for the murder of Aisling Murphy. Miss Murphy, who was 23, died after she was assaulted on the Grand Canal at Cabincur in Tullamore on the 12th of January 2022. Mr Puska denies the charge. He is on trial at the Central Criminal Court in front of trial judge Mr Justice Tony Hunt and a jury of three women and nine men. Okay, Paul, so like yesterday, I believe there were eight witnesses today and an awful lot of them were guardy. Yes, uh, most of the witnesses today were guardy um, and as we'll get into, uh, these were some of the first guardy on the scene who arrived at the scene there in the Grand Canal um, after receiving a phone call about an incident or after they were notified by a colleague of an incident. Um, And two of these members of Angarda Shikana were the first at the scene and to see Miss Murphy's body and they performed CPR and chest compressions on Miss Murphy. Okay, but before we get into the Garda witnesses, there was evidence of a lady from a lady called Emma Doyle who was the the first witness today. I understand she lives, actually lives in Tullamore, but her parents house is on the uh, on the canal and she was there on the 12th of January. Yes, now we would have heard reference to Miss Doyle in yesterday's evidence when two other witnesses were giving evidence about what they saw on the day of January 12th and there was an interaction between Miss Doyle and Miss Stack um, and another lady named Aoife Marin um, who were witnesses on the 12th of January. You may recall the evidence from yesterday that these two women were out for a jog and they discovered rustling in the bushes and that one of them, Miss Stack, witnessed a man on top of a woman um, and that, that that man has been identified as being Mr Puska and that woman obviously of course is Mr. Miss Murphy. The two of them had an interaction with Miss Doyle when they went to her house and alerted her um, to what they had seen. So Miss Doyle was now giving her direct evidence as to her version of events uh, on that day. So I understand her evidence really started with the fact that she had herself been out for a walk around the canal that day. Yes, so she was giving evidence in relation to just as she... So her parents' home is there on the canal. She went out for a walk that afternoon and she came across a a woman and a cyclist. She initially thought they were together, then realised that they weren't. She had let her dog off the lead, so she was observing whether people were coming in her direction so she could put the dog back on the lead. Um, and she said that this man, this cyclist, uh, she, she noticed him coming along on this bike, this uh, neon green bike, as she described it. And she was asked um, by the prosecution, Miss Anne Ray Lawler, just to describe this man. And so she said he had a black tracksuit on him, uh, a red logo on the chest area. He had a tight crew cut, haircut, dark hair, dark stubble, sallow skin and striking unusual eyes. She didn't think he was Irish. He passed by her and the two of them exchanged a hello. And after that, she then gave evidence to the effect that she went back to her parents' house. Yes, so she went back to her parents' house and she heard some noise out from the window of the front room and she saw Eva Marin standing there. Um, she said that Eva Marin and Miss Stack were both there and they appeared to be shock, shocked 
Um, she thought they were upset about something and they told her that a girl had been attacked. Um, she went out to the front door um, and then she she said that she was recalling the conversation then that she had. So she recalls that uh, Jenna said that she saw the bicycle, she saw the legs kicking up and down and she recalled Jenna saying that she shouted at the man to stop and that she'd ring the guards and he just turned around, looked at her and told her to F off. That's the quote as she remembers it. So she remembers Jenna Stack telling her of her interaction with this man on top of the woman and that uh, this man had supposedly turned around, looked at her and told her to F off. So you may recall the evidence from yesterday where Miss Stack said that this man turned around aggressively at her and told her to get away. So uh, Emma, re- recall, Emma Doyle recalls this as she said the man told her to F off. And and believe she also confirmed that in her statement she she recalled Emma Marin saying to Jenna, "I don't know how you seen that." Yes. So um, the defence barrister, uh, Mr. Michael Bowman, a senior counsel for Mr. Puska, uh, was asking the witness about this statement. The statement has been brought up already, and I don't know how you saw that because, of course, Miss Stack saw a lot more. Um, than than her friend uh, Miss Marin did, and so the conversation that Jenna recalls is that uh, that 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 Miss Marin said to Jenna something to the effect of "How did you see it?" and she confirmed that she can recall that conversation. And I, I believe that one of the final bits of her evidence was that she said shortly after she met up with Miss Marin and Miss Stack, the guardy arrived at the scene. Yes, she said the the guardy then arrived at the scene. So that kind of concluded her evidence uh, and, and we then got into the first of the Garda witnesses. And that would be Detective Garda Tom Dunn, who I think he gave quite a lot of evidence today. Yes, yeah, so we got a significant amount of information from Detective Garda Tom Dunn. That is because he was the first officer to receive a 999 phone call from a person in distress that they had discovered something on the canal area in Tullamore and he said that this person appeared to be in a panic and he was he was answering the phone from the public desk there in Tullamore Garda station that particular afternoon and he said this this person rang he sounded very distressed he just kept saying there was a body in the ditch uh, at Boland's Lock at Digby Bridge uh, so he said that he was trying to take down all of this information and he estimated that the phone call lasted between a minute to a minute and a half uh, he then got off the phone and he went up to the detective's office and immediately asked his colleagues to assist him. Uh, so he, you know, he hung up, he went straight upstairs and he told them, look, there's been a potentially serious incident and I need someone to accompany me as soon as possible. Now, we heard that his colleague, uh, Garda Hunt, who, who gave evidence and will come to him, uh, was actually dealing with another incident at that point in time. Um, but he realised that the incident was serious in nature because um, Detective Garda Dunn stayed there in the room uh, and that indicated to him, right, this is serious. So the two of them eventually left the Garda station, got into the patrol car and headed to the scene. And uh, his evidence would be that he met three ma- females just at Digby Bridge. We, we know Digby Bridge is over is a bridge over the canal, quite close to where Miss uh, Murphy was found. Yes, so they, they, and we, we heard about uh, this from multiple Garda witnesses because, of course, there were three patrol cars ultimately that went down to the scene and, and we've heard from each and every Garda that were in these patrol cars that went to the scene and they all had interactions with three, these three females which include Eva Marin uh, sorry, it's, Eva, it's Eva Marin and it's Emma Doyle and um, it is Miss Stack as well and they were in a panicked state and they basically pointed out to the Gardaí as they passed them 
where this scene was and told them that where you know just past Digby's bridge there and towards the lock where the actual uh, body of Miss Murphy was laying. And his next, next interaction with the person would have been Enda Malloy, who said, who told us we need to go down and look into the ditch. So obviously Enda Malloy would have been, I think he was the waterways worker, wasn't he? No, Enda Malloy was a cyclist who was actually uh, told by the by the waterways workers to, to go down. He was able to get down there quicker. And he was down there with another cyclist, um, a, a Polish individual who gave evidence yesterday. So those those two cyclists were there and uh, they, they, they told uh, they told Gardadon uh, to have a look in, go in to the ditch there uh, and see what he could see. Uh, so he, Gardadon said that he, he went into the ditch. Uh, he actually said that when he got out of the car, he could already see straight away that there was a body in the ditch. He said it was maybe five or six feet down in the ditch. Um, and he described the area just, it was kind of all overgrown and thick and that there were brambles. Um, and he said he that the body to him looked to be female. She was lying with her head. So we, we've heard evidence of this from a, f- a couple of witnesses already, just in the position of Miss Murphy's body, in that her, her feet were facing in one direction towards Digby's bridge, and her head was facing then towards the Tullamore direction. She appeared to be face up, he said, um, and, and we've heard the description of Miss Murphy's hair being over her face. Um, so this he was, he was the first guard on the scene. And uh, the uh, reference was made yesterday to the pink woolly hat, close to the body and he also says today he would have seen that pink woolly hat yes he confirmed that he could see a pink woolly hat close to the body um and and this was just before he he put on disposable gloves he said and he said that miss murphy was wearing kind of a jacket zipped right up to her neck um and he described how he unzipped that jacket um so that he could start performing cpr and chest compressions and he said he would have felt for a pulse at that point in time. He said that he couldn't feel a pulse, and that is what he said in his statement, that he did not detect a pulse. Um, but he would say to the court that if there was a pulse, it would have been a very faint one. And he also gave an indication of how long he and his colleague performed CPR on Miss Murphy. Yes, yeah, so so both him and his colleague Garda Hunter uh, as I said, they were the first two guardy there, and between the two of them, they alternated uh, in the chest compressions and CPR for a period of about ten to fifteen minutes. Um, he did that, and he also just described to the court how Miss Murphy looked. Um, and again, I would just warn people: you know, we are going to go into some detail here uh, that the court heard, that is graphic in nature. Um, so he said that Miss Murphy, her, her face, there was a lot of blood. Her hair was matted, uh, some of it was kind of caught in the briars. He said you couldn't see her face, but there was an awful lot of blood. It was impossible to tell where it was coming from at the time. Um, following that effort to perform CPR, paramedics arrived, the ambulance arrived, and, and himself and his colleague and another paramedic lifted Miss, Mo- uh, Miss Murphy's body out of the ditch and um, lay her body there on the tarmac. Uh, on the actual path itself and then the paramedics did their work they did CPR uh, they attached a defibrillator um, but unfortunately there was nothing that they could do they found no signs of life and they stopped working on the body we would hear evidence then later on uh, it was sometime closer to six o'clock in the evening when Miss Murphy was officially declared uh, deceased so he gave he gave to, uh, evidence that there were he could see visible wounds on Miss Murphy and he did see say that it was that there was a as you say there was a significant amount of blood um and she also he also saw that he, there was a phone in her jacket pocket and keys to a safe car 
Yes, now this, uh, these are things that Detective Grady Dunn noticed when Miss Murphy's body was brought out onto the tarmac. So it's not something he could see in the brambles itself in the ditch, but he said he could see holes, puncture wounds on her neck. Um, he said he could see about four or five, but there was so much blood there, he, he couldn't see everything. As you mentioned, he, he said he could he saw a phone in her jacket, uh, keys to a Seat car, and a necklace uh, around her neck, which actually had the word Ashling on it. And is it, was then asked about the the original 999 call, I presume it was a 999 call to the station that he took. How long did he say that? Did he give, it, he give him an indication of how long he thought that lasted? Yeah, he was saying that that, that lasted about a minute to a minute and a half. Um, and, and then subsequently he went up to the d- detective's office and asked for assistance to go out to the scene. Okay, so then he's, he's cross-examined by Mr Bowman and he's asked, I believe, about the ditch. Yeah, he was just explaining that the terrain was difficult, you know, it was dense undergrowth, there was brambles, there were briars. Um, and he was asked by Mr Bowman in relation to the pulse, so we were speaking about this, just, you know, he said in his statement he looked for one and he couldn't find one. Um, but the quote that he that he told the court was, if there was one, it was very faint, very weak. And as we'll explain now in a minute, there were there was evidence from other Garda witnesses who recall a conversation with Garda Dunn and Garda Hunt where uh, one of them or both of them would have said at some stage um, that there, there may have been a, a faint pulse. There may have been a, a, a faint pulse of some kind on Miss Murphy at that point in time. OK, so I think that that was that witness. And I believe the next was his, his colleague with, was with him at the time, Garda Sheehan Hunter. Yes, yeah, so that was Garda Shane Hunter. Um, his evidence is similar, obviously, of course, because he was with his colleague, Detective Garda Dunn, and he, he just confirmed, you know, that uh, at around 15.35 uh, that, that afternoon, Garda Dunn came in, said he'd received the call, uh, that there had been some kind of a serious assault. That's the way he described it. He said, as I mentioned to you, he knew that the incident was in some way urgent because uh, Detective Garda Dunn waited in the room for him to, to finish what he was doing, and, and to head out straight away. Um, so other Gardaí in the room then were also notified. As I said, three patrol cars ultimately went out. Um, so he just recalled uh, that that's Garda Hunter, you know, obviously meeting the three women down at Digby's Bridge and that they were distressed. And then they got down to the scene and they observed uh, Miss Murphy lying, he said, on what appeared to be her back in the ditch area. Uh, he described then how his colleague performed the CPR, as he said, and while his colleague did that, he rang for what he said was all possible assistance, and he rang for an ambulance. Um, he was also then asked to just describe in detail how Miss Murphy was lying. He said she was lying on her back. I could observe that the left leg had been elevated against possibly a tree stump or a branch, uh, and he explained that they alternated between the CPR, and he himself noticed what he said was heavy blood, um, that her hair seemed to be matted, and uh, he noted what he called thin lacerations on her body. And he did make reference. Uh, uh, was was he given Miss Murphy's phone today in a bag, or was that at the at the at the time? That might have been clear from my coverage. Sorry, he was given the the phone at the time in an evidence bag, and he described how he could actually see open on the phone a fitness app, and uh, it showed the time fifteen sixteen, and it showed activity that appeared to be from running for a period of 1 hour, 24 minutes and 20 seconds uh, at a distance of 3.2 kilometres. And I think the last piece of evidence in, in, uh, would, from him would have been or in relation to his evidence was that the, the, the area was designated a crime scene at, tw- at 17.34, which was just, just before 25 to 6. Yes, it was indeed. And, and um, it's around that time that Miss Murphy was declared uh, deceased as well. Um, so then the... Ne- the next witness was Detective Sergeant David Scahill. 
And who's he? He's obviously a detective sergeant, obviously he's in charge of other detectives. So he would have quite a, a senior position within the guards in Tullamore. So what was his evidence? Yeah, so he was also in Tullamore Garda Station on duty that day and he described, you know, how Detective Garda Dunn had come in and had alerted them to a very serious incident. So the two of them, Garda Hunter and Garda Dunn, had gone on in the marked patrol vehicle and um, Detective Sergeant Scahill then, with another colleague, went on in an unmarked uh, patrol vehicle following, basically, in a convoy of three, as I mentioned. They went up to the bridge. Now, he knew one of the women. He knew Jenna Stack, uh, and Jenna Stack actually said to him, Dave, Dave, it's down the roadway. Now, she said, he said that Jenna wouldn't normally speak to him in that manner. She seemed to be agitated. She seemed to be frustrated with something. Um, so he, he knew that there was something up. So it's around about a quarter, pa- uh, quarter to four uh, that he arrived at the scene. He got out of his car, and he said that he could see Garda Dunn and Garda Hunter in the hedge, um, and he described it as a very thick hedge and he said that Garda Dunn was on the lower level, he was kneeling down and then he could see that he was performing CPR. Um, he could see, as he said, what I believed to be a female down there and he said that, that one of the guards had told him, he recalls, that there might be a faint pulse uh, but that he wasn't sure. And he was able to say that, as you say, that it was a female and that she had blonde hair and then he rang 999 on his own phone for an ambulance. Yes, he rang for an ambulance. Now, he described how an ambulance was actually already on the way, um, but that they were then, uh, emergency services were looking for further directions from him to the scene. Um, and, and he directed the ambulance from there. He also alerted uh, the local superintendent and informed his colleagues uh, and told uh, a guard Dolan to secure the location and then to ensure that anyone who was on the canal, so it was the job of the guard on the scene to then identify anyone that was on the canal, that they made sure that they knew who they were and, and they would begin the canvassing of witnesses shortly after that. Um, so he described then just how Garda Hunter and... Uh, and, and his colleague were doing the best that they could in alternating on the on the CPR. And then how they brought Ashling up out of the ditch. And um, he himself went into some detail uh, as to what he saw and what he remembers uh, about that specific moment. Um, and I just have a quote from him, you know, he said, What sticks with me is that her mouth was wide open. There was cuts on her neck. There was a slice on her neck as well. Uh, he said that, after some period of time, the paramedics did stop working on Miss Murphy and he said, I recall that her body was limp at that stage. I recall looking at Ashling and again, her mouth stands out to me. Uh, her mouth stands out to me. It was wide open. And he described the gold necklace on her that said Ashling and he could see also the wounds to her neck, which he described as uh, significant injuries to her neck. OK, so Detective Garda Canaan would be the next witness. He, As you say, a lot of this is repetitive, but every we'll, we will talk, you know, even if it's briefly about every witness, I think, you know. How, however, briefly. Mm. Yeah, no, Detective Garda Canaan was also one of the Garda on the scene. He, he got the keys to an unmarked patrol car, drove out to the scene uh, with Garda Scahill, the previous, uh, the, 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 the previous witness, and they went towards Digby's Bridge. They met Jenna Stack, and he can also recall Garda Hunter saying, uh, that Miss Murphy seemed to have a faint pulse at that point in time. And he also spoke to Mr Wilco, one of the two cyclists we were referring to earlier, and he said that he could, he he didn't he hadn't seen anybody suspicious in the area, basically. Yes, exactly. And we heard uh, Mr Wilco's evidence uh, to that effect yesterday as well. OK, so the next witness is another Garda witness, Garda Andrew Dolan. I believe he was in, at the time, he was in the detective unit in Tullamore. 
yeah, so this was this was after lunch. We came back from lunch and, and uh, got Andrew Dolan then gave evidence. He attended the scene just before uh, 10 to 4 there in the afternoon. He came in an unmarked car as well. Uh, he also spoke about meeting Eva Marin, Jenna Stack and Emma Doyle on the bridge. Um, and he, he spoke about how Garda Shane Hunter had, had said they thought that the female still had a slight pulse. He spoke about looking down into the ditch. He saw the green and luminous green uh, uh, bike and he saw the pink woolly hat um, and he confirms that Garda Hunter uh, he confirmed that Garda Hunter also uh, handed him a phone uh, which he placed into an evidence bag and then gave back to his colleague uh, subsequent to that and it, interesting Anne-Marie Lawler who's the senior counsel for the state the, the lead prosecutor then asked him at this point were they dealing with a fatality yeah, she said. I mean, she actually stated it as a like a point of fact. At this point, you were obviously you were dealing with a fatality, and the guardian interjected and said, "Well, not immediately at that point. At that point, we still had hope. Uh, you know, obviously they had been speaking about uh, the possible faint pulse, um, so they had hope that perhaps Miss Murphy was still alive at that point." So although Mr. Wilco had said he hadn't seen anybody suspicious, there was a description. I think it was given by Miss either Miss Stack or Miss Marin, I believe of a, 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 a suspect, essentially. So yeah, look, a, a description of, of the suspect was given, uh, again, as we've mentioned, a male who's foreign with dark eyes, shaved head and, and stocky. Um, and then the guard witness just described how he went uh, down to Boland's Lock and he observed a house quite close to the scene there. Uh, there was CCTV, there was a CCTV camera on it, so he went to try and get that footage, uh, but, but he subsequently discovered that the camera actually wasn't working at that point. And when he came back then, uh, he said that the ambulance was present and Miss Murphy's remains were on the path and that a blanket was over her at this point in time and he was made aware that she was in fact deceased. And it, it's interesting, Mr Bowman in cross-examination says to the guard he had formed an opinion on who this suspect may be. Yes, so he formed an opinion on who this suspect may be and uh, that, that he informed a colleague then uh, to possibly check out a particular address in the area and uh, his colleague, Detective Garda Shane Jennings, subsequently arrested a, a man in the area uh, following this description. Uh, we heard evidence about the, the identity of this man. I, I'm not going to name him here, but he was named in court. Uh, subs- uh, needless to say, that man is not the person who is on trial, uh, Joseph Puska. It was another individual. OK, so we're now on witness seven. Um, and just another another warning, this is Dr. Sally-Ann Collis, who is a pathologist with the Office of the State Pathologist. So essentially, Dr. Collis carried out an examination of Miss Murphy's uh, remains after the after she was she was she was found dead. Yes. Now, we're not going to go into the, uh, Miss Collis's. Uh, Dr. Collis's evidence in, in too much detail. There is a, a lot of information, obviously, that's given in a post-mortem examination and that, that that full report was read out by prosecuting counsel Anne-Marie Lawler. Um, we're not going to go into the full level of, of information here because, as I say, it, it is quite graphic and, and maybe upsetting to people. And uh, you look with the, the basic facts of it are the conclusions of that report. Uh, and Dr. Collins concluded uh, ultimately that um, Ashling Murphy died from stab wounds to the neck and that there were no other contributory factors to her death. Uh, we heard that there were a total of 12 stab wounds to Miss Murphy. Um, and we then went into, for some time, uh, a level of detail that we're not going to report here uh, as to where uh, exactly each wound was um, and the depth of them uh, and uh, 
just their effect on the body. Uh, there was also detail about an internal exam examination of Miss Murphy. There was nothing abnormal in relation to any of her organs or anything else um, other than, obviously, the, the stab wounds. There was also mention of injuries to her hands, uh, to her fingers area, which it was concluded by um, Dr. Collis could potentially be defensive in nature. So, as you say, she did go through each injury, but... And as you say, we're not going to go through them all, but she did conclude that she died from stab wounds. Yeah, she concluded that she died from stab wounds. Just in describing her job, uh, she performed this post-mortem examination on the 13th of January, so the day after, and she did it at the Midlands Regional Hospital. At that point in time, a, a Garda and uh, Miss Murphy's brother, Cahill, had actually identified the remains um, of Ashling Murphy. She was told that, that this is the pathologist, was told that Ashling was a school teacher who was exercising on the Grand Canal when this incident happened. She'd heard of the two women who heard rustling and that that the woman had that had seen a man on top of Miss Murphy. Um, that CPR was attempted. That an ambulance crew was called. Her body was moved to the tarmac. She was so she, so she was told of all of the circumstances. And as I mentioned earlier, Miss Murphy's death uh, was formally pronounced. And um, that actually happened at seventeen fifty one, the day before. So uh, she went into those details, as I said, and she was shown photographs of the body as it was taken at the scene the day prior. And she also said that uh, Miss Murphy was wearing a Kilcormick GAA top, blue leggings and a T-shirt and a green and blue. And the Kilcormick GAA top was green and blue track, a tra tracksuit, green and blue, basically. Yes. And she confirmed that the necklace that said Ashling on it, the yellow metal cladder ring and a, a watch that appeared to have run out of battery. Um, she described how she, she basically did a complete and exhaustive examination of, of the body. She described heavy blood staining under the face and neck, sharp force injuries. She just, she explained that sharp force injuries would mean injuries inflicted by a blade, so a knife or a similar implement. And just you did say that the, the injuries to Miss Murphy's fingers were potentially defensive in nature and the, the doctor said she may have held her hands up to defend herself. Yes, the, she was basically explaining how uh, particular injuries on Miss Murphy's fingers uh kind of skin uh, skin type injuries on her fingers could be explained by by her putting her hands up in a defensive manner. Okay. Uh, will we leave Dr. Collis there and go into the final witness? Yeah. Um the the, the final witness then was uh, Detective Garda Gary McDonnell. Uh, he's from the Garda Technical Bureau. And he was just telling how he went to the scene of what he was called, what he was told was a suspicious death. He arrived at around half six that evening. He observed the crying tent. The body of Miss Murphy was inside the tent. Um, he saw that there was blood at the back of her head, wounds to her neck. She had no footwear on. So just to explain, sorry that there there was evidence earlier in the day that when Miss Murphy's body was removed from uh, from the brambles area, that her that her what she was wearing on her feet actually fell off, and that her jacket had fallen off as well. Um, so that just explains that she was wearing socks underneath. Um, he described how she had uh, a green zipped jacket um, and she had dark leggings. Uh, she had blood on her hands, he said. And um, he also observed the bike on top of the bushes. So the bike was covered up at this point with plastic sheeting. And he also noted uh, the pink hat, uh, gloves and some glasses that were at the scene. Um, so he attended the, the, the post-mortem as well and he took a set of prints. OK, and that was that was really the end of the evidence today. And we're back, I understand, at 11.15 tomorrow, Friday. 
yes, we're back 11.15 tomorrow. That would be the fifth day of the trial. I uh, just want to note, I want to point out that Miss Murphy's family have been present in court throughout. They're seated, they're seated right behind us on the press bench. So Miss Murphy's father, mother, uh, brother, sister and extended family members are there, are present. And they were present throughout all of the evidence today, including the post-mortem information uh, from Dr. Collis. Okay, so you're off tomorrow, Paul. So I'll be going to court tomorrow and we'll, we'll see how we get on during the day. Yeah, thanks for listening. We always we appreciate you listening on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks to Kieran Bradley, our producer. Yeah, thanks very much, everybody. <laughs>